Hello and welcome to this episode of Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTOcraft and Skillawale, and it was inspired by the Q&A site Stack Overflow, where questions have to have a single right answer, and questions can be closed and archived because they're primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer. They're primarily context-based. And this podcast will take one of those questions, talk about a range of answers and the context that makes them appropriate. My name's Howell Carver. I'm the CEO of Skiller Whale. We do deep coaching, that's individually personalized hands-on sessions with a live expert remotely in one-hour chunks. And I've run CTO and tech leader dinners for the last three or so years and acted as a CTO coach. And one thing I found in all of those roles is that the same questions come up again and again, but with different answers every time, because context is critical. Today, we're going to be answering the question, how do you grow a team fast? And with me, I've got Matt Belanger from Omnipresent. Matt, tell us a bit about what you do at Omnipresent and how the company has grown. Hi, Hal. Thanks for having me today. So I've been at Omnipresent for about a year and a half. Uh, I'm the director of engineering there. And uh, my role was really to come in and grow an engineering team. We had just uh, two engineers when I joined. Since then, we've grown the team to about 85 people overall. Awesome. Thank you. It's that growth in the team that I would love to talk about. And I was thinking recently about something I wrote in a blog post. I discovered that it takes on average 62 days to hire someone into a role in a tech team. And then often you can expect three months of ramp up. My question is, can we beat that? Because obviously a big part of growing a team is getting those people in quickly and then getting them effective and useful as soon as possible. Can you beat that? Yes, you can. It requires a little bit of luck and and a little bit of planning. So if you're hiring one person, yes, you know, two months, 62 days is is probably how long it takes. But if you're hiring a lot of people, once you get that pipeline up and running, you can get a pretty good cadence of new people coming in and new people joining the team. And then the the next piece of that is, of course, onboarding, getting people up to speed quickly, learning your tech stack. For us, we, we put in a lot of effort this year in onboarding. We were about tripling the team in 2022 from 30 to 90. So we knew getting a solid onboarding program in place was going to be really important. Uh, so we started towards the end of last year and put together a, a mini onboarding boot camp for engineers with the goal of onboarding people a little bit outside the team they'd be working with so that we could still build software while onboarding. Our worst fear for this year is that we'd get to the end of the year having built a big team, but not having delivered any software because all anyone did was onboard. So we had we had a good generic company-wide onboarding program put in place by the people team. And we added on to that in engineering. And we've been able to get people up to speed in four to six weeks uh, and really contributing to their team. I'd love to hear about how you put together the technical side of that, because I think that's often something that's very difficult to get anyone in HR type roles to help with. So how did you develop the technical side of the, the boot camp and get, get people up to speed technically? We did it within engineering. So one of our, one of our heads of engineering took on the project and put together the materials that we needed he, he built V1 last year, uh, and then early this year, we had a, a mid-level engineer join who's really passionate about onboarding, really likes working with people, and he's done a lot of work since then to expand on that, work with new people coming in, uh, and help them, help them learn the tech. 
Got it. How have you thought about the culture and values that you had in the early days and how you maintain them as you grow? So our values haven't changed as a team. We put a strong emphasis on quality and keeping our code easy to work with. I wouldn't say we've been 100% successful with that. There's still there's still spots in the code which uh, which we wish were better, but we've we have kept that focus on technical quality. Uh, our pro- our partners in the product team are equally engaged in technical quality and and help us achieve that. They're, they're supportive of us, you know, spending the time to, to refactor our code, to, to deal with technical debt. That core value hasn't changed because we know it's important for us to continue to deliver software. Mm. We don't want to get slowed down by bad technology. We don't want to be faced with a rewrite. Definitely. When you've been growing the team, have you been specifically looking for a level of cultural ad as well as technical fit? Or, or how do you think about that? How do you divide out what you're looking for? We're a pretty international team. We have somewhere around 20 nationalities on the team. So when we think about culture, uh, we really put our focus on people who have an emphasis towards building software, who have background in building software, and who really care about delivering good software to our customers. That's the piece of culture that we really focus on. So then how do you scale that? How do you make sure that other people are looking for the same qualities as you are, as you scale, and as more people are involved in that interview process? So the number one thing is to talk about what we value when we're hiring, to talk about that emphasis on on people who care about building good software and care about delivering. We've hired people who care about that, so they, they look for that in others as well but really making it explicit that, that that's what we look for. I do get in on the last the last step of the interview process for engineers. So we have one last chance to check for that, for that culture uh, and for those values. That's interesting. How many times are you having to act as a filter there where actually something has, has slipped past other people's notice, but you're having to bring, bring up and say, no, this person won't, won't work out here? It's been pretty rare. Um, I would say over the past year, it's happened a handful of times. Um, so the the team has done a really good job of of filtering for those things before it gets to me. Um, but it's, it's good to have that one last check. Uh, and you know, I love I love interviewing. I like to get the opportunity to meet people um, mm. before they join the team as well. But it's a it's pretty rare that someone gets to me and, and isn't going to be a good fit. Mm. So then I suppose the other side of hiring we should talk about is the technical skills. I guess I'm particularly interested in the breadth of skill that you look for and whether that's changed as you've scaled, um, whether you look for a very broad set of skills, you know, full stack developers versus narrower skills and maybe more specialist people who work on part of the, the stack and how that's changed the, the profile that you look for. Yeah, so my first year we put, a heavy focus on senior engineers with experience in JavaScript. We knew the plan changed a couple times over the year, but we were going from two engineers to first the plan was 15 and then and then 30. So we knew it was a lot of scale with very little experience inside the team to help level up new joiners. So we did we did want to bring in people with a lot of experience and with experience in our tech stack. 
we we then and now hired for a mix of full stack front end and back end specialists. The majority of our engineers are working on full stack product development. So having a mix of those skills in the team is really important. And having people who are willing to sort of step outside of their area of expertise when that's what the team needs as well. Coming into this year, we decided to open up our hiring criteria. We had enough experienced people in the team that we could onboard people. We could do a little bit more teaching. We do skilling up with JavaScript. Scalar Whale has been a big help with that part. We could also level up people from, from junior. Um, so we started hiring more junior engineers, more mid-level engineers, and not requiring JavaScript skills, really looking for people with good backgrounds in building software uh, of, of all different kinds. We've got people from banking, we've got people from aerospace, web development, game development. So a, a really broad spectrum of, uh, of experience. Nice. Uh, yeah, we, we find often that one of the ways we can help companies is by changing and lowering the bar, the technical bar for their hiring. So I'm glad to hear that, that you've benefited from that as well. I'm interested in when you think you need to start considering diversity in that journey, in that scale, because I think that getting a diverse and representative team is typically difficult in the early stages in particular because you have such a small number of people that um, it's quite easy for that small group of people to look very unrepresentative and you possibly don't find you've got resources to invest in making sure you're casting a wider net and attracting uh, a more diverse group of candidates. So is there a point when you think you started thinking consciously about diversity or have you taken a, a completely different approach to that? We started thinking about diversity really from day one. Um, it, it takes time to build up a diverse pipeline of candidates. Um, and the longer you wait, the longer it's going to take. Uh, so we really started thinking about that from day one. As you said, there was a limited amount of investment we could put into it early, but we did make a strong effort right from the beginning to get a diverse candidate pool in the door. So if you have a diverse candidate pool and you have a good hiring process that, that isn't biased, you, you will end up with a more diverse team. I've been lucky enough in my career to work on very diverse teams, um, both gender and nationality. Uh, Toronto is a very, a very international city and obviously hiring globally uh, you're going to get people from from all sorts of different backgrounds, um, but we also wanted to make sure that we did get get that gender diversity into the team early on because it does make your team stronger and it does make your team lead leads to better products. Coming back to the the wider topic about how you grow and scale a team, Matt, can you share some stories in your experiences in different companies of where you've seen this done really well, and maybe some stories of where it's gone really poorly? And what lessons you've learned from that? Yeah, so uh, where where growth has gone poorly for me in the past, it, it's when we didn't know why we were growing. We you know we we go out, we we raise some money. It's like okay, let's let's get some let's get some engineers in. We hire some engineers, and then nobody really knows what to do with them. We we don't have we don't have a clear product vision. We don't have a clear goal for the team, and we've just hired some engineers. We didn't know why. We didn't know what problem we were trying to solve with them. Uh, and we didn't have really anything for them to work on when they get in. So create work and then 
they're not really delivering a lot of value. And then it feels like, and, and is true, in fact, that the engineering team is, is too big and too heavy uh, and ha- isn't delivering more value than it was before we did that hiring. I wonder how often that's driven by investors. I think sometimes I've, I've heard investors talk about engineers almost like they're cattle, like that we're going to go down to the, the market and buy five buy in five head of engineer and then we'll have five more engineers in our engineering ranch and they'll make it better. I don't know if you've come across that as well. Definitely, definitely. And and it's funny, they're they're often the most expensive people on the team, but they are talked about as as sort of undifferentiated massive people, uh, which is definitely not the case. I think it's interesting. Once you start setting targets around hiring and you put numbers on it, one of the problems that creates is you want to hit your numbers, which means that you end up holding on to people because they add one to your numbers. Like if you make a bad hire and realize but you want to hit your targets, I can think of a I can think of a specific individual where everyone in the leadership team agreed that this person should definitely not work at the company after I think they'd been there even three weeks. This, this, this was in a non-engineering team. But the, the effect on the culture on the five or six people who were working directly with them in a similar role, and then the wider company, which at the time was about 30 people, was really negative. But I think targets and numbers on sheets meant that the bad hire stayed much longer than they should have done. Yeah, and, and that's when that's when you find yourself focused on outputs instead of outcomes. You know, the output is a thirty-person team uh, instead of the outcome of you know a good team that delivers good software or or whatever other department they're they're in. Matt, I'd love to hear about in this journey from going from two people to ninety people. You must have along the way added different layers of leadership between you and individual contributors. How do you how do you think about that? How do you know when to do that? And how do you know what each layer of leadership needs to look like? Adding leadership is, is a little bit different when you have really aggressive growth plans and you know where you're going versus more organic growth. So at, at Omnipresent, we were looking ahead and we, we tried to figure out when we would want leaders based on at first what size of team could i personally effectively manage and when would we get past that and need to add another manager to the team so that we could give the engineers the support they need to build good software so that that was that that first manager that we added to the team and we did the same process for for the other engineering managers we added at first and then when we were planning out our growth for this year, we recognized that we would need a second layer of management. And planning that out was really, again, looking forward, where is the team going, uh, working with product to know when they wanted to bring their second layer of management in, uh, because we wanted that parallel structure between product and engineering, and doing some forward projection on, on when we would need those people and hiring leaders a little bit early so that they could, to some degree, help hire the team and so that they weren't onboarding into an existing team. Uh, they could come in early in the life cycle of the team and help build it up rather mm. than come in at the end. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I think one of the things I've seen is when people leave that late or they're unable to hire that extra layer of management when they want to, and it's super painful. 
I've, I've been there. Uh, I've been on both sides of that and, uh, and having a, having a good solid leadership group really helps the team operate more smoothly and everyone gets that support that they need. So a, an example of that back in, in my first management job many years ago, I started on a team that it really didn't have any management in place. We did some outsource software development. Project managers were the nominal leaders of the engineering team, but we really, we really didn't have any managers. And it created some some difficulty in the in the culture and the team. The only focus was on hitting timelines for for clients. Uh, no real concern about, about quality, uh, and it was a it was a difficult difficult experience. Uh, and then they decided to add leadership uh, and they promoted me to management where I was leading 25 people as, as the one and only line manager. And, you know, first management job is, is always exciting, but managing 25 people is really difficult. And that was, it, it took us a while to get additional leaders in the team. And when we did, it made it such a big difference in and the experience for the engineers on the team and what it was like to work there. Uh, my personal experience working there got much better. And it, it really did uh, improve that team. I bet. I bet. Gosh. And it's probably probably people don't want to join either, right? If they if they know that um, currently it's one manager to 25 reports and they're just going to make it two managers to 25 reports, no one wants to be the first one in the building to come and help you because that's a that's still a tough situation. The second manager on that team was an internal promotion because we had so much trouble hiring from outside. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's actually a good point to end on, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Join us again next time when I'll be talking to Erin Peterson, the CTO at Simple Health, and we'll be talking about the tensions between being agile and having a roadmap.